So, Father, thank you that uh, thank you that I'm back, Lord. Thank you for my own sake. I'm so thankful to be back here and um, yeah, and to be able to talk about Your Word and talk about You and learn from You. And um, so, Lord, as we try to pick up um, this session four in making disciples, would You help us to remember what we did last time, which was a long time ago, Lord? And um, and bring us back on track with this particular study so that we can understand more about discipleship and the reason for it and what it is and how, how it works and, and just the great blessing that is attached to it and that we receive through it. So um, I pray for everyone tonight, Lord, we are a small group and I pray that you would enable us to share with one another and to talk about um, the scriptures and to unpick them as we uh, look at them together. Um, because we want to glorify you, Lord. We want to honour you with our time and with our discussion. And and I just thank you so much that that desire to honour you has come from you. And so it will be fulfilled this pla- in this place tonight. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, I, I, I can't remember if I finished session three by saying that uh, just as in everything else with the Lord, discipleship is a work of grace. It is a work, making disciples is a work of God's grace. And it's impossible to do. <coughs> no human being can effectively disciple another human being without the power and the grace of God at work. Um, that's impossible. And everything in our life as a disciple of Jesus and in the discipleship of other people is um, a work of God. He has to do it through us. Um, and that's, in, in some ways that's liberating and in other ways that's scary because it um, makes us feel rightly that we have to be listening to God in order to be sharing. Um, and so that's, as I say, that's scary in one way because we find it hard as human beings to listen. We find it hard to listen to each other and we especially find it hard to listen to God because we can't hear an audible voice. Mm-hmm. And then we find, um, so because we find that hard, it then becomes quite difficult to disciple and share what we've heard because very often we haven't heard very much because we haven't listened. So, um, so to remember at the outset that God wants us to be involved in discipleship And so he will do all that's necessary to enable us to be making disciples. Um, So the the natural uh, reticence or fear that we might feel, he will take away as we do just the things he's asked us to do. And I think last time I talked at the beginning or at the end about John John chapter 5, Jesus giving us the blueprint, as it were, for how we do this work of making disciples. So I think we'll start there, if that's okay. John 5. And if someone could read from verse 10 to verse 23, please. John 5, 10 to 23. The Jews therefore said to him uh, that was made whole, Is it the Sabbath day? It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, he said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is it 
which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk. And he that was healed knew not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away from the multitude that was in that place. After that, Jesus found him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that had made him whole. Therefore the Jews did persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Ah, uh, oh, sorry. Can you read the next verse, please? But Jesus answered them, My father worketh in two, and I work. Thank you. Sorry, um, Mike, I was finding it difficult to see where you were with the translation, that's yeah. all. And then... Um, so, um, there are some things that Jesus tells us here in John chapter 5, which he repeats all the way through his gospel, because John's gospel, be above all the others, is, is uh, geared to the uh, disciples that follow Jesus, knowing how to disciple after Jesus is gone. And so a lot of what Jesus talks about is how he's discipling people, as it were, how he does what he's doing. And what you see in John chapter 5 is that he, Jesus only does what he sees the Father do, and he only speaks what he hears the Father speak. And it's that relationship of the Father and the Son that is reflected now and established and realised through in believers with the Holy Spirit. So just as Jesus looked to the Father to see what he was doing, we as believers are to be led and guided and look to the Holy Spirit to see what the Holy Spirit is doing before or simultaneously as we start to think about making disciples. So uh, just to think about what does Jesus actually say he, um, he does here in these verses? What does he actually say? If you had to pick, say, you know, three points, what does he say? What's the first thing he says? My father never stops working. Yeah, yeah. My father is always at work. God is always at work. So, what, what does that mean to you and I? God is always at work. So, what difference does that make? When we're thinking about making disciples, what difference does that make to us? There's only a few of us, so we've all got to talk. He's, always, he's, at, he's actively wanting us to make disciples. Yeah. He wants to use us. Yes, he definitely wants to use us. And he's working all the time. So if he's working all the time, what does that actually mean? It's in not your about us, it's about him. Yeah, but in your day-to-day -day life. It's very easy for me to think, uh, well, I've just heard, so that's from God. And then the little space in between, well, actually God isn't quite in this bit. Right. It's very right. easy to, to move from one place to another. Yes, yes. But, uh, but with the understanding... But actually, God is at work the whole time. Yes, yes, yes. So God is always at work. So therefore, what's our responsibility? Let me just say that. Before that, before before to be in tune, before to, but to be aware of the fact that God is always at work. So we have to first, the very first thing is to remind ourselves God is always working. He's always working. He doesn't stop. So we stop working. But he doesn't. He never stops working. He is always at work. That's the first thing. 
And you don't have to initiate anything because he's already initiated it. So now that's another thing, really, when you think about it. What does that mean for us in our everyday life? Right. So he's preparing people. Which people is he preparing? He's preparing the person in front of you. That's what he's doing. He's at work all the time, and he is preparing the person in front of you. For you to do what? To share Jesus. To share Jesus. And the person in front of you, whether that be in a queue or in your office or in your, at the school gates or whatever, where, wherever you are, the person who stands next to you in the bus queue or the person who sits next to you on the train or, or whoever it is, that person is already under the influence of God by his spirit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that I mean that's amazing. Isn't it? I mean that is just it's enormous. That that actually I can walk out of here and walk into Tesco's or Waitrose and the person at the till is specifically in front of me and God is already at work towards that person. I definitely think he's always at work. He's at work all the time. And I think it's, it behoves us to remember that, Carol, and to be more aware of it so that we are always aware of it. Um, so the father's always at work. And what's the, what, what do you think the second thing is here? Jesus says, I only do what I see the father doing. So he sees the father doing something and he knows the father's doing something because his father's always at work. So what, on this little passage, what has he seen already? He's also working. Yeah, but what has Jesus said? He's, I see the Father working. So what, in this particular passage, what, there's a healing going on. And what has happened is Jesus gets to the pool at Bethesda and he sees this man who has been lame 38 years and he's waiting. He's been waiting to be taken and up and put in the pool first. And he's waited and waited and waited 38 years and it hasn't happened. Now, there must have been hundreds of people yes. at this pool. And the noise and the clamouring must have been huge. And Jesus is walking through the temple and he comes to this place and he sees this man. So now, what do you know about God's always at work and we're to be aware of that fact. So when you're walking along the street or you're in a crowded place, what happens when you're, in, when you're walking along the street or you're in a crowded place? What, what will happen? Just normally, humanly. You want to get out of the crowd. Yeah, you might. But, but let's say, uh, I suppose what I'm trying to get to is, why this man? Because this was the man that was in front of Jesus. This was the one he saw. He saw this man. I don't know why he saw this man, as opposed... Well, his, his eyes fell on this man. And he knew that he'd been ill for a long time. Of course he's Jesus, we're not. So I'm not expecting us to know all this stuff. But he saw his father at work because he had seen this man. And he knew his father was at work. Now, you know, Rosie shared about um, a uh, homeless man. I shared about a homeless man. I don't usually talk to homeless 
men on the street. In fact, I, I, I probably has happened once before in my life that I've actually stopped and spoken. I never give money. I never... There's a certain kind of timidity in me about that. Someone has to ask you not to. Yes. But anyway, I came out of Tesco's on the corner where I'm living in Wimbledon, and there was a man sitting on the street, and he said something, and I said to him, Why did I say something to him? I don't know. I said, Oh, you're not from around here. Where's your accent from? And so started. I stood and spoke to this man for 20 minutes. Now, it was preparing this, going through this, thinking about this. And it, I, at the time, I didn't think, oh, God's at work, I, I need to align myself with that. But later on, I thought, God was at work. And I saw this man, and I didn't walk past him. So it, there was something that happened in that encounter. I could share Jesus with him. I said to him that I was a Christian. He was telling me about Muslims who did this and that, and I was telling him I was a Christian. And in the end, he ran after me up the street as I turned to walk away. He said, what's your name again? What's your name? And I told him my name. And I turned to him, and I said, I will pray for you. They said, don't do that. <laughs> so there, he, said, he said, don't do that. You don't need to pray for me. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, how interesting. So in that whole, in that whole conversation, God was at work. Now, I, 99.9% .9 of the time, would have walked straight past that man. So I think for the purpose of this evening and this morning, God was showing me, I'm always working. Open your eyes. Just open your eyes. Can I just share with you that on Sunday, uh, there was a chappy, I was doing the PA in the church, and there was a chap in front who was sort of twitching his neck constantly throughout the service. So when he, uh, when the service was over, I, I just, uh, we actually shared the blessing with each other at the end of the service, which was unusual, wasn't it, actually? So when we'd done that, I kept hold of his hand, and I just said to him, I said, could you mind mentioning you? you I noticed you've been twitching. I said, yes, I've got this injury. I had a sports injury, and I'll be on this thing with you. Yes, I said, well, can I pray for you? And he said, oh, yes, please. And I did that, put a hand on his name and paid for him. And there wasn't anything miraculous happened. We don't know. Hopefully it came next week and we find out mm. he's, he's mm. I don't mm. know. But then I, I just said to him, um, uh, I just gave him the opportunity just to talk. And he shared with me how his first time in this church uh, and he felt the love of God, mm. which he had felt in the Catholic church. Yeah. And it all came out about the disappointment of the Catholic church. So it was just a wonderful moment. Mm. It only lasted mm. a few minutes. Mm. But mm. Um, just as you say, the, the Lord is working on that man to bring him to our yeah. to a you know a Methodist yeah. service. Okay, so actually taking that then, Mike, yeah. so after that experience, which you've probably had many more times than me, but after that experience of me with this man, mm. what was the feeling that I experienced? Joy. Joy. Absolute joy. Now that is really interesting to me because Jesus is going out of his way to, uh, in John 15, which we're going to look at next week, he'll say, I am telling you these things that my joy might be in you and your joy made full. So there is joy attached to remembering what Jesus says and doing what he says. And that's what I experienced. 
joy. I mean, there was a little bit of fear that he hadn't run after me again to find out where I was living, but there was certainly joy. It was like this liberating feeling that I'd actually spoken to him and I cared about him and I found in me this compassion that is not normal for me. So it was a case of um, God being at work, me aligning myself with his work and because I did that receiving the joy of my obedience. And so that leads me to another thing then, why does God want us to, why does he want to use us in his work? Because he could write the gospel in the sky. He doesn't need a person to do anything. He's chosen it that way. He's chosen it that way, but why? What's the purpose? Our joy may be full. Yeah, that our joy may be full. So what is, when we're thinking about making disciples. Yes. Especially in these days, you know, causing us to realize that, you know, he's not an isolated person. It's like that chap who gave his side to the Lord. Yes. He needs to be in a body. Exactly. Yes, definitely. But so think about, just uh, definitely true, think about them. If God doesn't need to use you for anything, why does he do it? Because he wants us to join with him. Because he wants us to join with us, because he loves us. So making disciples is a work of love, a gift of love that God has given us. So now he's always at work. He doesn't need us to do anything at all. But he's asking us, telling us, instructing us, encouraging us to align ourselves with his work, not because he needs us to do anything, but because he wants us to know that great joy. He wants us to love us that. He wants to, us to know his love. So making disciples, it's a work of grace, and it is a work of tremendous blessing. Tremendous blessing. To be in a situation where God is discipling someone else through you, is just an amazing blessing. And the more that you align yourself with his work, the more you realise this is totally and utterly a work of his grace to me and to the other person. So discipling then can be in a moment as well as a prolonged relationship. I think so, Mike. Yeah, I mean, you've got to begin somewhere, haven't you? And some And Jesus began when he saw this man. And then there followed a conversation, but, uh, and, and for us it might be that your conversation with that man, he may come back to your church next Sunday and for some reason you may not be there, who knows? No, you know, but you may have decided to go and visit someone or something might happen, so you're not there. So you may never know that he's come back to that church because you spoke to him, you probably laid hands on him and prayed for him. And so God has gone along with that. So your one five minute conversation May not be the, you may not be the one who disciples him or takes him any further, but nonetheless, you were involved in his discipleship. Yeah. And, um, but the, the whole thing to me is that it's because it's a work of God's grace, it's a blessing to be involved in. And, um, and actually, in a way, isn't it the work that he created in advance for us to do? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That, that God created good works in advance for us to do. And um, the making of disciples is his gift to us. The work that he created is his blessing on us. Um, so think about that now. Um, and who did he choose to create good works for? How many believers and which type of believers? All believers. All believers. So no matter how useless you think you are, and no matter how... Uh, lacking intellect or how much you stammer 
or how odd you are and how people have never thought I was funny or interesting and they've always thought I was a bit boring and people have never really liked me and God, you know, if you knew these things, you'd never ask me. I know you couldn't possibly ask me to disciple anyone. All of that is deception in lives. All of it. Because God created good works for all of us to do. And that good work has to be, surely, primarily, the making of disciples, since that was the thing that Jesus told us to do. Go and make disciples. Um, so God's chosen to include us in his work. Um, he's working all the time. So God has put us in the circumstances we're in. He's put us in the relationship we're in. He's given us the wife or husband we have. He's given us the children we have, the friends we have, the neighbours we have. Why is that? Why has God done that? Because he loves us and because you are perfectly situated to be aligned with his work, to be the one through whom he will work towards your husband, your wife, your family, your friends, whatever. You see, if we believe in an omniscient, omnipotent God, we have to believe that. That this is his purpose and that this relationship, which is the most difficult relationship, let's say uh, marital relationship, which I think is probably the most difficult relationship in the world, um, Let's say, so we're in a relationship, we have a wife or a husband, and it's a difficult relationship. God has specifically put us in that relationship for that purpose. I see that so clearly because my husband's not a believer. So clearly. And uh, it's perhaps harder to see if you're both believers, I don't know. But when you have an unbelieving spouse, it is just so obvious that... This is the person God wants me to speak to about him, to witness to about him. It frightens the life out of me, actually, a lot of the time, because I know how woefully short I fall of what I should be. Because at home with my husband, I'm the way I've been since I was 19 and married. It's the truth. Well, I mean, the part of me that still work, God's still working on is still... Oh yes, of course there's big change, yes. Of course there's big change. But, um, yeah. But Doesn't what? it spur you on also to go out to preach the gospel, to teach the word of God? You know, when you have an unbelieving husband, it sort of pushes you out. I, I guess, maybe. Yes, a great big man of God. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. I have often thought that, actually. That if my husband had been a Christian, I'd have been a social Christian. I would have been a social Christian because I love those things you know I can put on a good lunch run a coffee morning arrange an event yes of course I can do that yeah I would have been exactly I would have been a social Christian so anyway the point I'm making is that the circumstances of our lives the relationships in our lives the friends the neighbours the, the man we sit next to on the train the, the homeless person outside Tesco's they are all opportunities where God is going to use us. And that means that he's specifically chosen you for Brian and you for your children and you for your neighbours. He has specifically chosen you to witness to those people. I mean, I find that incredible. This morning, Anne said, how do you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Tell us, Rosie, 
Well, we're going to talk about that strangely, Mike. Yeah, we're just going about just about to get there. So, no, no, don't be sorry because it's nice. It's a nice. I, I'm glad that somebody else's mind has worked the same way mine has. So, so God is always at work, at work, and He wants to us to align ourselves with Him. He's at work in this country. He's at work in our neighbourhood. He's at work everywhere. But how will I be aware of Him at work? How will I make sure that I am? As aware as I can be, and as alert as I can be. Yeah, yeah. Have to pray. pray. I have to pray, and I also have to do what? Spend time. I have to spend time with him. And, and what other two? Yeah, I have to listen. I have to listen, and I have to talk. I have to read his word, and I have to pray. I have to do those things because what has God promised? As I do those things. Well, he's always present, yes. yeah. But when we do spend time with him, what does he promise? He's going to transform our words and bring them to Yeah. Life. He sets us down, doesn't he? Yeah. Fill up your joy. Yeah. And so all of that, what would you say? See, when we think about, okay, he tells me to spend time in his word and to pray. Okay, and I spend time in his word and I pray. So no. what should be the result of that? Yes, fresh bread. Yes, we'll get to know his will and his heart and his yeah. mind. Yes. Go ahead, Mike. What were you going to say? I think I think you're encouraged to spend time with him. Yes. Yes. But yes, through his word. Yes. What does that mean, though, Mike? I, I mean, I know it's true, but what does it mean? Constant conversations. Well, how? How do I do that? Through your spirit. So, so what you're telling me is something I can't quantify and I can't pass on, actually, because what you're saying to me is that there's a the there's a work of God by His Spirit. And that I will some, somehow catch on to that. Well, I don't catch on easily. See, that might be true for some people who are perhaps much more sensitive. But for me, I like to have the you know, details. I want it written down. And what God says is, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So what he's promising there is, if I do the things that he has called me to do, read the Bible, pray, ask, you know, just spend time in fellowship, sing, praise, whatever it is, if I do the things he has told me to do, he will be there and I will experience him. That's what you're talking about. You're talking yes, about the experience of that. And you're saying go on all through the day in your spirit. Um, and I'm not saying I disagree with that, but that's really difficult because each one of us is different. 
and we experience that differently. Of course, it's lovely to study the scriptures and to, and to delve in and be deep in reading the scriptures, etc. But um, we can, um, well, it's possible that we can do that and forget that, of course. that the gospel is a gospel of action. Mm. Mm. You know, everything mm. is action. But what's the point in reading the word? What's the point in doing that? Yeah, we're transformed and renewed in the spirit of our mind. So, A, we're transformed, so the word of God itself transforms. Um, and also there's a promise attached to scripture that he is the word of God. Jesus is the word. So as I'm reading that, I'm not just reading words on a page, I am experiencing a relationship with Jesus, which is what you're saying to take on through your day. Exactly. Right, but so what do you think then, Mike? Do you think you read your Bible in the morning and you yes. pray and then you say, Lord, I'm going out and I want to be aligned with your work. I just want to walk with you all day. So you then get to and you meet that man in church, whatever. Yes. So is there something, do you think God has made you any sort of promise to say, when you meet that man, I will tell you what to say? Mm. And he has, he has yes. yes. And what you'll find is so often what you read in the morning is applicable or can somehow be spoken to or at least remembered to be um, viable for that person. That's what I'm talking about. This is is God's real promise. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. He says when you stand before kings or whatever in that hour, he'll tell you what to say. And his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And his word is alive and it never returns void without accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. Well, I want to see that in my own life. And that's what he promises. If we do those things that he's told us to do, he will be there. He will be there. It's Jeremiah. Oh no, it's Chronicles, uh, Second Chronicles, chapter seven, or First Chronicles seven. Um, it might be Jeremiah as well, but I'm, perhaps I'm thinking of Solomon. If this, if uh, my people are called by my name, but yeah, it's also Jeremiah thirty-one or thirty. Yeah. So, as you go about your day, then, and you've you've talked to the Lord in the morning and you've prayed and you're, you're going out determined to, uh, to do the best you can to stay in tune with the Spirit or to walk with His Spirit, um, then God will bring opportunities. So uh, what happens if you never read the Bible in the morning? So you wake up in the morning and six days out of seven you don't read. Well, whether that be in the morning or the night, you just don't read through the day. You've got no ammunition. And what else? What else? You're hungry, you're starving, so you haven't got a lot of bread to offer someone else because you're starving. And? And? Disappointed in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You're not living on the Lord. You're not, yeah. Because you're just thinking you can go on by yourself. Yeah. There's no confidence in God. Right, right. You're not loving Yeah. Yeah, you're not loving him. What do you think God will do? I mean, this is serious. I mean, we're saved for eternity, right? You, you put your trust in Jesus, and God's promise to you is you are saved. He will take you home. But God is a God of choice and free will, and he won't force you to do anything. So if you decide, 
I'm not going to read my Bible, and I, I, you know, I just haven't got the time, and actually I find it all a bit boring. What's going to happen? What's your life going to be like? You're going to miss the blessings. Yeah, you'll probably find you slide in the world, and for certain you won't have any joy. And for certain you will face the Lord Jesus and not have anything to show for your whole life. That is even if you're saved. Because really, if you, if you don't read your Bible and you're thinking, I can't be bothered and I just can't understand it particularly and I, I haven't got time to pray and blah, 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 and, and God will have to use somebody else today. Really, you need to be questioning yourself, am I really doing is, is, is this God that I've said I believe in? Do I really believe in this God? Because God promises so much in his word. And he promises if you read it, you will be renewed and transformed by it. And so there should be this transforming, renewing work that's going on that makes you want to read and pray and be with the Lord more. More. 25 years I'm a Christian. 25 years. I want to be with God more now than I did at the beginning. People always talk to me about that, well, in the first flush of your, you know, when you first came to the Lord. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. You know, it was weird to me when I first came to the Lord. It took me quite a time to figure out that I actually had. And so now, it's just so much better now than it was then. And I think God will give us more and more light. The more you respond, the more light he will give you, the closer he will draw you. And so this sort of thing, studying, deciding that we're going to study, there's no arrogance in this at all, but the, the commitment of our time and our effort is something that God will honour. And he will honour that. Sorry, Debbie, no, go ahead. No, no, go. Oh, what I was going to say was, um, just to read it, reading the word, it sharpens our discernment. Mm. So yeah. that it, it's, it's not, it's just, it's about making disciples, but it's also about projecting Exactly. Us. Yeah. 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 Yes, because ma making disciples, we often think that that's what we do, right? We make a disciple. But actually, when you think about God, nothing is one thing. You know, it's not, he doesn't do a single thing at once. He does a whole tapestry. So whilst we're out making disciples, he's making us a disciple. So we're learning and we're sharing. That's what it is. That's what making disciples is. We're sharing what we know. And as we're sharing and as we're having to, uh, as you found out when you were leading the discussions, you put more work in than anyone else who came because you wanted to make sure that you were had enough to share with people. So the blessing was more on you guys than it is was on the other people. No matter how much they enjoyed it or part, you know took part in it, the blessing for you was much more because you put that effort in. Yes. And that's the whole thing. But saying all of that, God gives more light and the more we respond to light, he gives more light. Um, at the end of it all, when you look back now over, I mean I can look back 25 years, in November it'll be 25 years, and I can look back and I can honestly say that it is all the grace of God. Mm. No matter the effort I put in, no matter the study I did, no matter, it's all God's grace. Yes. And I can say that knowing that that is also what God says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Um, Paul will say um, something very similar. Chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God... I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I laboured even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So Paul can say, by God's grace I am what I am. I used to be a persecutor of Christians, 
but now I'm an apostle. And I laboured more than all of them because I knew what I was before. But now, even though I did all that work, I can actually look at my life and say, God's grace. It's all God's grace. And isn't that the key statement of someone who's, who's thinking about the making disciples? Isn't it the kind of... I mean, we, we say it's all God's grace, but then we just kind of get going and do it. And Paul's statement is, I had to work really hard I have worked really hard, I've laboured, I've gone through all the things that I've gone through, but at the end of it I can say, but yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And that's making disciples. Making disciples is a work of grace. It takes great effort and commitment and labour. And it's hard because often the people you're discipling uh, nowhere near where you think that they should be. And you've given it your best shot and you've really worked and you've studied and you really wanted them to understand and you've prayed and you've come alongside them and you've, you've lived with them and talked with them and witnessed before them and still they turn away and get drunk on a Friday night with their friends and you can't get into your head, how could that be? How could that be? So it's hard to disciple people because just inevitably the people you're discipling are not where you are. So if we don't have that understanding that it's the blessing of God and his great love for us that has called us into this work, we will be giving it up at the first sign of trouble because it's too much work. It is humbling, yeah. It is humbling. I love the verse though, Anne, that says when um, uh, it's 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 kind of out of context, but Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord rejoices over you with shouts of joy. He is quiet in his love. Yeah, he rejoices over you with singing. Um, does he? Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's amazing. Wow. Dr. Jesus. was in a, a meeting two or three weeks ago in this conference, and he was whistling. The started, and he was just whistling. And the lady told him, not, said, You must be quiet, please, because we came here to be quiet. Oh. <laughs> and he was whistling. It's beautiful. So not everybody sees whistling as I'm. No, it is beautiful. And also, you can reach notes. But so given that then, given that it's not it's gonna be hard work that Paul says I laboured more and yet yet not not I but the grace of God within me. Understanding that it's God's grace, it's his love to you, not 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 you know it's his love to you, let alone his love for the person that you're discipling. So it's it's all his love, all his grace, all his blessing. Given the fact that you're going to get tired 
and you're going to think, you know, is it really worth it? Because I'm speaking to a brick wall half the time and they're not really growing and I can't see any sign of growth and why is this, you know, blah, 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 blah. What must we really keep in our minds absolutely set and sure? So that, that God's at work and that if this person really has trusted the Lord, they will be glorious in the end. They will be glorious. Whatever my human eyes are telling me now, whatever my limited understanding is telling me, whatever I'm seeing just from what they're um, showing me is not the reality. If they have trusted the Lord Jesus, they are being transformed daily and they will one day be with me in glory. It's what you were sharing when we did Corinthians. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And and, and, and ex- no, it doesn't. And it has to be defeated. And there has to be a work done. And we're involved in that work. And but we can sometimes lose sight of the fact that there's something else going on, and that he who began this good work in me and in them, we'll see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And that there are promises that God is keeping us and and we are beloved and called and kept for Jesus Christ and that one day he will cause us to stand before him blameless and with great joy. You know, so there is, there are all the promises that we have to keep in mind, not just for ourselves, but in order to, to, to effectively disciple people. You know, Sealed in him. Yeah. Yeah. And so the person we're discipling is sealed. No matter what we're seeing in them. And our uh, role in that whole thing is to receive the blessing of God in order to pass on the blessing of God to them. So the more we are in God's presence, the more we are renewing our mind, the more we are being transformed, the more we're understanding who our God is, the more effectively we can look beyond the physical and see the spiritual reality. Yeah, it is really hard. And that, that's a hard thing with making disciples or um, discipling someone. It's really difficult because, because we, we've got human eyes and we forget the spiritual reality so easily. Um, it's the same going back to what you said in the beginning about people anywhere you know, check out and go and check out. That's hard too. Yeah. To actually, you know, see that there's a possibility yeah. that you, people behind you think, well, I've got yes. a good time. Or any yes. person might have a good time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very hard. And, I, you know, and actually... You know, it's not necessary that every person at every checkout till we give the gospel to. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that sometimes it is too difficult. There are too many people behind, and we are doing them an injustice if we try to strike up a conversation that will last 15 minutes when, you know, six people down the line are, you know, they need to go. So it's not easy. Don't you feel it's, you know, in your spirit yes. that that's yes. the person that the Lord is asking yeah. to speak to, yeah. etc.? I think so. Yeah. You do, but and I think that that comes the more you're aware of God, and the more you, time you spend in His presence, you're more aware of those things. Um, so, I really thinking about that. Then 
there are two passages, one that you looked at in Colossians when you were looking at the Summer Something course, um, Colossians chapter 3, and another one, a sort of corresponding um, passage in Ephesians, Ephesians five, uh, 4. And um, so it's Colossians 3, 9 and 10, and Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. And they both say the same thing, but they say it in different ways. Paul's writing both letters, so it's quite interesting that he deliberately says them says the same thing in a different way. So could uh, let's go to Colossians first, Colossians 3, 9 and 10. And then um, we'll go back to Ephesians. So Colossians 3, uh, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Um, so that's Colossians 2, uh, 3, 9 and 10. And then if you go to Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, Ephesians 4, he says the same thing, but he says it in a totally different way. Well, I'm going to start at verse 20 for, to get the sense. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Can you see the slight difference um, in these two passages? They're talking about the old self and the new self, um, but Paul says something slightly different. In Colossians, he says that you have laid aside. You laid aside, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. That is a, something that happened in the past. The verb tense is past tense. You laid that aside. And you put on, um, and have put on, past tense, the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So at the moment of salvation, you didn't know you were doing this, but you laid aside the old self and put on the new. Actually, it was God who did that in you, but you were a part of that because you believed in Jesus. So it's the sense that at the moment of salvation, that happened. The old man was buried and the new man emerged. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, he'll say in 2 Corinthians. So, um, but the verb renewed in here is present participle. It means it is constantly being renewed. So you, the, you, the moment you put off the old man, the moment God identified you with Christ, with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the moment you were born again leads to the process of the new man coming to the fore, let's say. You're covered in the new man, but that is a process, a continuing renewal. Um, so now think about that and think about um, Ephesians. Look at the difference then in Ephesians. What does Paul say about the old man in Ephesians, Ephesians 4? What does he say in verse um, 22? Yeah. You see, what in Ephesians, what Paul is asking you to do is to put aside something that in Colossians he told you has already been laid aside. Yes. 
And he's telling you to put it aside because it is being, currently being corrupted. So you've got both sides of the same thing. This has happened to you, therefore you have to do it. So at one time, at the moment of salvation, when you were born again, your old man was laid aside. Now every day, lay the old man aside. It's really odd that in two letters... It is, but it's really important that we understand it. Because when you think about making disciples, the person you're discipling very often at the beginning of their walk, if they're anything like me, is so far from being someone who looks like they've laid aside the old man. And so it's, it's this understanding that that was done. And that, that now, you and I as disciplers are involved in the helping them to consistently lay aside yeah. the person who was laid aside at the moment of salvation. Do you see what I mean? Yes. And it's, it's really important, I think, that we understand it because there's a bridge into putting on the new person, which is, again, something we have to consistently do, mm-hmm. even though it's done. And there's a bridge as to how we do it. In both uh, Colossians and Ephesians, there is a, a joining uh, sentence particularly in Ephesians. So what's the link then? What's the link in Ephesians? Look at uh, Ephesians uh, Ephesians 4, verse 22 and verse 24. And the link is verse 23. And what does he say in in, uh, verse 23? You will be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So who does that? Exactly. We do that. We do that. We have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And how do we do that? I know you know all this. You know all this stuff. Yeah, of course. But how do you know that that's true? I know I say it all the time, but how do you know that it's true? Yeah, it should be evidence. And also in Romans chapter 12, that's exactly what Paul says, that... uh, Uh, Therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercies, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. And it is your mind that has to be renewed. And that's what we're responsible for. We are responsible for renewing our minds. And that's the beginning part that we can actually see. Exactly. Exactly. Some things are just... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. But you only do that because the renewing of your mind is already taking place. And now you're starting to think, I don't want to watch that. Why not? Exactly. And you're seeing it as something despicable, actually. And I don't want to watch that. Why don't you want to watch that? You used to want to watch that. Why don't you want to watch it now? It's because your mind is renewed. And you are constantly renewing your mind. And as you are renewing your mind, the new you, the person you already are, is becoming more and more evident in your human life, in your human uh, moving. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. 
But it's also interesting because what he says here is put off it, the, putting off the old man is more than putting off the things the old man did. See, we concentrate as Christians as putting off the things we did. Lying, gossiping, getting drunk, greed. That's just the practices of the old man. We have to put off the old man with his practices. Do you see what I mean? And Paul separates them, God separates. So there's an idea that the old person is not only the things I did. It's the old me that wanted to do them. Do you see what I mean? So it's not a new... Christianity is so often um, given over as a new set of rules. It's a new morality. It's a new way of living. And we just don't do this and don't do this and don't do that and make sure you do this and you do that and you do the other. And you find yourself saying it. Got to read your Bible, got to pray, got to walk in the Spirit, got to do this, got to do that. That's not what God's talking about. He's not talking about the things we have to do and the things we shouldn't do. He's saying there is a self in you. There is a self nature and you have to fight that nature and put it off. And you see that nature every time you lie or you gossip or you envy or you whatever. Those are the ways you recognise that you still have an old man. But that's not the old man. The old man is the you who wants to do those things. The old man is you who wants to be God. And Eve will immediately jump in, and I love you for this, Eve, because you'll always remind me that I'm much different than we were. We are much different. We have walked a long way with the Lord, and how wonderful that is, and that's absolutely right. But still inside, I see evidence of the old man. Yes, of course, we do, but that's what I'm saying. We do, but it, and it's that that God is getting us to. It's not the practices. I mean, we should be able to not get drunk. We should be able to not look at pornography. We should be able to not be envious or greedy or shout and swear or all of those things. Those things, they're just like the surface. It's the deep stuff, the, the part of you that wants your own way, that wants to be understood, that wants to be right. Oh, yeah. Mm. Sorry, what was that? Doesn't love deeply enough. Yeah. Do you know, somebody's yeah. really whacked you about or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But you really, really love them. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I think also when your confidence is in the Lord. I was just thinking of um, a, a, a word that the Lord gave me many years ago. He said, because uh, I was having a boo hoo about something, and the prophetic word that came to me, that word from that came to me that day, was take your foot out of the gym. Which is an unusual statement. It's a trap. It's a trap. Take oh, your foot out. As though it was down to me. I can see you crying. I know all about this. Take your foot out of the gym. And I've just read just now um, that he saves our feet from the snare. Mm. The trapper. Yes. yes. Mm. And I've just been thinking about that as you've, mm. um, you've been talking. And it is that two way thing. There is the fact that he's with us, but there is also the responsibility mm. we have to mm. remove ourselves from mm. it. Mm. It does, it does, but it's the way we do that. Mm. Because if we concentrate on taking the foot out, mm. we miss, I think, what he's actually... I mean, I'm not saying God didn't say that to you, by the way. I'm, I'm sorry he did. But what I mean is 
that the things we do only evidence who we are. Exactly, that I didn't have confidence that he actually right. would take my would, Exactly, he would do it, there you, you go, know? there you go. And so this is what he said, yeah. so I thought there was something amazing that I had to do every time I cried, every time I thought about that situation, yeah. I mustn't do that. Yeah. But the confidence is, is that he's doing he's it. He's doing it, so that's it. So we sometimes don't have confidence that God is actually doing it. There you go, that's so where it is. And you don't have the confidence in God because you don't know him well no. enough. And you don't well know him well enough because your mind is not yet renewed well enough. And so you're finding that you're fighting battles of surface issues when actually the issue is the internal you. It's the self that refuses to die. You know, why do I always want to be understood? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that I'm understood? I'm not talking about in teaching, but just in, you know, that you understand that I'm really a nice person. Why is that? Why does that matter? It should, it's all about you, yeah. It's, it's all about me, yeah. yeah. And why do I have to have the last word? I mean, why? Yeah. And um, why do I have to... Um, why, why am I impatient? That's just say a silly thing. But why am I impatient in the car when I'm driving and I need to get somewhere quickly? Why am I impatient? Because my time's really precious. And it's much more important than your time. Mm -hmm. So I should be allowed to, you know, go fast. There's room for us all. Yes, exactly. But why is all of that? That's not about me wanting to be somewhere quickly. It's about the fact that I think I am more important. And why and do I... you are the answer to it. Yes. I'm the answer to yes. this, so I'm going to tell you to get out yes. of the way, and I will drive on, because yes. this is where I'm going. Yes. And it's again, it's coming about, yes. because I didn't believe or trust yes. this God that says, don't you think I can sort yes. it? Yes. Mm -hmm. The end of it, the beginning. It's everything. It's everything, but what... What I think that Paul is trying to tell us, what God is trying to tell us, and this is, I think, the, a crucial part of understanding how we disciple other people, is that don't waste your time trying to teach them how not to do the thing that you think they shouldn't do. Because they can't not do that until they have relinquished the self that's inside that is screaming for its rights. I, I have a right to this. I have a right to be happy. I have a right to be understood. I have a right to, to be who I am in the Lord. Even spiritually we do that. I have a right. And what God's saying is, actually, you died. You're a dead person. Dead people don't have rights. Dead people are dead. So it's this understanding, and I think as Christians, we spend so long measuring other people by what they do rather than understanding that actually it's who we are, who we are. So there's two things in that. Who are you? Who are you as a Christian? A new creation. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. You are already created in holiness and righteousness and truth. God's saying, that's already done. Put me on. It's done. You are already that person. That's interesting. Live like it. Because in my Bible, I've, I've, I've crossed out, well, not crossed out, when it says, and, and that you put on a new man, yeah. I've written over it clothes, and somebody must have said that. Yes. Once, and I yes. You clothe yourself. Exactly. In exactly. But that new man is already created. Yeah. That's what he says here. Look, is it in Ephesians or Colossians where he says it? Um, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created 
in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The new man is already created. You need only to put him on. So would you say, if I explain that, spiritually, we are sitting in the yeah. places, mm. mm. but it's the self-nature, it's the yeah. emotions, the soulish nature that's, that's a struggle Spiritually, so it's so difficult for us to really just see the spiritual eyes that we are really sitting with Christ in heavenly places. We are all those wonderful things that He promises that we are and we will be. But that is spiritually, is that right? Definitely, I think that's exactly it. And we're body, soul, and spirit, so our spirit is all is born again and is the soul is the battleground at the moment. The flesh is going to die. It's being corrupted. You know, I mean, we know that. Look at your own body. It's not what it was. So, you know, that's, that's happening. But the soul is the battleground. And it is that battleground that we are involved in the fight with. And so if we constantly concentrate on the things that we do or don't do, we miss the fact that actually there's a self-nature in there that has to be put to death. Because I can do all the right things and still have that self-nature. So yeah, God is God is is training you. He's coming at you from the inside spiritually and from the outside and he's asking you to go along. And so he's asking you not just to see what you do, but to recognize why you do it. And to say what is so important to me that I can't do this or stop doing this. And why is it that I have to have my place and my rights? And you notice it most in the most difficult relationship in your life. Whatever that may be, that's where you notice it. Because you have to have, you have to be who you are. And they have to recognise who you are. And they have to treat you right. And if they don't, they're going to know about it. That's why the argument that we're having is not the argument that we're having. <laughs> that's a bit too deep for me. You know, it's something else that's really oh, I see. You're choosing because you're putting issues in the wrong place. Mm. You're just choosing that as an excuse. But mm. the real argument is you're already so upset about something else. Well, actually, I think it's even more than that because you're you're saying I'm already upset about. Okay, so he's put his shoes in the wrong place. Mm. I'm using he because it's oh, yeah, so yeah, obviously yeah. my husband. Yeah. So he's put his shoes in the wrong place, but actually I'm upset because he didn't unload the dishwasher this yes. morning. But actually I'm saying something even worse than that, Mike. I'm saying I'm worried about his shoes because actually I'm worried about his shoes and I want him to put those shoes where I want them to be put. And actually it's not his house, it's my house. And why is it my house? Because I clean it and I do this and I do that. And all of it is about me. It's all about me. You said he's not a Christian, didn't you? I did. <laughs> Excuses for putting his shoes all over. Oh, don't. You In my house, I know. In my house, I am called the shoe police and the glass police because I'm mo having glasses all over the place and shoes all over the place drives me batty. Yeah, well, Mike, sorry, but you know. You were away when we had a conversation about my guiding shoes being found in the wardrobe. You
Oh, oh what? I don't think the dishwasher was working. Oh my goodness, the perfect <laughs> husband, perfect. I think the thing is, what you know, I mean, there's so many things involved here, but I notice it in myself. You know, there are things that I want to happen because I want them to happen, and I can wrap them up in all sorts of good reasons. Good motives, good reasons. I want, you know, I, oh, Lord, I, this will be so much better because I can serve you so much better. And all the time, it's all about me. And I'm dead. So how can it be about me? And all of that time, I am working against God, actually, against his work by yes. his spirit in me because I've decided the way it should be. In whatever sphere we're talking about. And that's not about the thing itself. It's about me not dying to myself mm. and that's what he's talking about you already died put on this new self that's ready for you and perfect in holiness and righteousness and truth put that person on leave everything else to god leave everything else to god leave all the things that you're going to do or not do leave all that to god just determine you will die to yourself yeah and my legacy, my legacy for this situation would be to spend more time with him. Uh, with God? I, yes. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, yes. I thought you meant your husband. My husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's too much. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah okay, with God, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely. No, it's the right solution. And it's the solution that God's calling us to all the time. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Come and listen to me and I will change you. And it's that that's so hard for us because our self-nature is so strong. And we, we consistently and constantly forget that the self is strong. That that self that died spiritually is still alive and kicking. In my soul. And we don't like that strong. It's like having a strong man. Yeah. Like yeah. And and that is the th he's that self is what God has asked me to put to death. I mean, it's all a done deal. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with the Lord. But what he's saying is, the more you put that self to death, the more I can use you for my glory. The more joy you'll get in that work, the more you will receive the love of God, the more you'll be aware of his presence all the time. It's that as you die to yourself, as you do the thing that he's asked you to do, and what he's asked you to do is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Read, listen, whichever way you want to look at that. I'm not talking about studying for study's sake, because you can't get here just studying for study's sake. You can't do that. If you read these words, you won't get to the the meaning of what, what, what God is saying to you. You know, this is more, this is listening to God and hearing him say, you have not yet died in this area in your life. Not in every area, because there will be areas that you have. But in this area, you haven't let go yet, and you still want your will. This is the story of a strong man in the house, isn't it? That's what Eve just said, yeah. yeah. No, no. But no, that, that is exactly it. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, surrender is a one-time deal, isn't it? You're a living sacrifice. It's a one-time deal. You present yourself a living sacrifice. But just because you've done that, you're forgetting that you've got to fight a battle still. 
because the self that's you didn't want you to do that. And is fighting that decision in every day, in every way, is trying to get you to stand on your own will, to have your own way and to live what you want to live. So you have to be battling that, putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit. So um, why is that all important? Why is that important? And how do we do those things? Because it's very evident when the self yeah. is evident. Yeah. And you know, if you let things go past you, you know, in stance or yeah. whatever, it's just, you know, people aren't hitting against something, mm. are they? They they mm. it's like love never fails. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you're just allowing uh, or you're not responding in the way that you yes. might have you responded before. Yes. Yeah. You, you don't need to do offended anymore. Mm. Mm. I think it's hard mm. not to take offence sometimes. And um, what I what I was doing last week was I was about to take offence for something that somebody not too far away said <laughs> to me, and I was really seething inside well, myself. And I and I said to the Lord very quietly, Oh Lord, what can I do? What do I say? I don't want to do anything. And attunement, he doesn't know this story, so he's hearing it for the first time. And so a tumour didn't in my mind. And uh, I saw, I said to Brian, I said, what, what's the, the worst of this tune? And it was that song, I will call upon the Lord. And so I started to sing it. And I do think singing God's word as well as speaking yes. God's word, it helps you not to take that offence. So shall I be saved from my enemies? And the enemy wants to... And it, two minutes later, we were both singing the song. He had no idea why I was singing that song. But it was because I did not want to take offence and cause a row. Because I don't find it always easy to yes. lie down and think, oh, oh it's, it's just wonderful. It's not easy. It doesn't happen. Um, not always. That's lovely. So I think yeah. singing God's word. Singing God's word and saying God's word, I think, helps to strengthen that resolve yeah. to, yeah. to sit down. Because it doesn't yes, always happen. <laughs> Of course, <laughs> yes. yeah, you can't get off Scott Frazier. But I actually think we're not talking about, I mean, I, definitely this is how it plays itself out, definitely, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting to a stage where actually it doesn't matter if he does it or he doesn't do it, it only matters how I respond. And, and understanding something else beyond that and that is if God has called us to this then this is the way he works on the other person yeah. it's not just working on you God is never as I say one thread he's a tapestry so as I am learning to wait on him to trust him to see that I want his will not my will that I'm going to try to I'm going to die in this area I'm going to give my will to him he's also working that is being used as a witness to countless other people that I may not even know about. But it's trusting that that is happening. You see, everything we do as a Christian is based on trust. It's all trust. It's all believing that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. I mean, Paul will say in Ephesians, we'll, we'll probably finish it. I mean, you looked at 2 Corinthians... The whole of Paul's letters talk about this being renewed in the spirit of your mind. He, everything is about the mind. All of Paul's talking. When he says heart, 
he may, it's mind, it's understanding, intellect. It's, it's never emotions. It's all your mind. So just look at um, uh, Colossians, well, uh, let's say 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. I think that's the one. Hold on, let me just get there. Um, oh, this is just about the ringing. But therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Um, for this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That, we have to take that on trust. That this, the t- afflictions we're in, the difficulties, the circumstances, whatever is happening in our life, is pro- as we respond in a way doing our part to honour and glorify God, that is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. We have to use the eyes of faith. We can't see that with our human eyes. Um, Colossians 3, um, set, your, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And in Ephesians, Paul will pray, and this is where we'll finish, Ephesians 1, he will pray for them that they will know some things. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he, um, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And that word heart is mind, it's intellect. That I pray that the eyes of your understanding or your mind may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? I mean, there are so many things in there. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that your mind may be flooded with light and understanding, so that you will know what is the hope of your calling. So what is the hope of our calling? Yeah, glory. Glory is the hope of our calling, that we will be like our Saviour, who is glorious. That we will be like him. That we will know the riches of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. How will we know the surpassing greatness of the power of God towards us, if not by being enabled to die to ourselves. As we die, as we decide, you know, I'm reading this, this is talking about me dying to myself, surrendering, giving up, um, laying aside the old man with its evil practices, so not just the things I do, but lay aside the old man. As I do that, I will experience the power of God towards me. And what will the effect of that be? Joy, transformed, and also an absolute proving of the reality of God and the fact, yeah, that he is doing what he said he would do. And what will that do? Seeing what God has done in that particular area of my life, what will that do? Yeah, bring peace and cause me to want to bring him the next area of my life and the next area so that I get less and less afraid to surrender and die 
in those particular areas of my life. Where, so that I become more and more aware that I'm in a battle, I'm in a fight for my mind, for my soul, and I'm not giving it over to the old me. I am seeing God at work in my life, and I am going along with that work. So now translate all of that, just as we finish, because I said we were going to finish there. Um, imagine now, with all of this, and believing this, and deciding, you know, I haven't quite got this in my mind, I'm going to go and think about this a bit more, and I'm going to read this, I'm going to pray, I'm going to praise the Lord and thank Him, and all of those things. Think how much better equipped we are to, to, to disciple someone else. Because we're not just coming now with a rule book. This is what you've got to do. You've got to look like this. We all, we all wear the same clothes. We have the same uniform. You know, we smile the same smile. You know, we, we, we're, we're liberated from that. And what we're now seeing is that God is going to use us in a powerful way in the life of another person. And that person is going to receive joy and blessing, the blessing of God, through me, through you. And on the way... You are going to be transformed. Amazing. Not you, Anne, but everybody. <laughs> you can't look at you. Exactly. 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 Yeah. I'll share something devastating that happened last week to me. My wife died five years ago. And we have a house left to us. My brother-in-law said, it's a shame that uh, that she's died, but we can divide the house between three now. It was going to be divided equally. It's going to be divided by two and two. Mm. He's always divided by three now because she's died. And this is his sister we're talking about. And mm. it was a real blow in us. Mm. But my lovely Anne here, Encourage me to send a sweet text. And it worked wonders, didn't it? Oh, talk about a soft answer turning around. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it opened a door mm. that you didn't expect, did you? No. no. God is so amazing. Mm. Yeah, he mm. He's faithful. Yeah, he is. Mm. He is faithful. So, um, that's what the Christian life is about. It's about understanding more about God, being renewed in the spirit of our mind and deciding to go along with his work. And if you're not ready to do that for yourself, you're not ready to disciple someone else. Because, you know, real Christianity is a lot different to the way it's portrayed often. Real life, real abundant life with Christ is so fantastic that we sell it short if we start with a book of what you can and cannot do what you can say, what you can't say, how you say it, what you look like. That's just, it's all nonsense. And that's what the world's about. And we shouldn't be about that. And um, we have the opportunity, really, I think. I mean, we have the opportunity, look at us, <laughs> to be used by God in this. I, I, it's just amazing. It's amazing. That lovely book, um, I think it's one of the absolute surrender. Absolute surrender, yeah. I have often thought, yeah. I think he says in that book, and it's one of my favourites, so I read it often. 
Uh, and what he says in that book is, do you want to be surrendered to God? Then he wants that more than you. So you can be sure he'll bring it about. It's that confidence. He will enable you to surrender. It's like, that's too good to be true. I didn't really want to surrender, but I finally, he brought me to that place, and he brought me to that place, and then I found it was really hard to do. And so he's going to take me on to the place where I can do it, because all the way along he wanted my surrender far more than I wanted my surrender, because he knew what blessing I would receive in it. And, and that's what Andrew Murray, in all of his books, that's the one, I would say, the one main teaching I've taken out of his books is that God will do it. He will do it. It's a promise. He will do it. And all I have to do is go along with his work and trust him to do it. So, Father, thank you that... Um, well, just thank you for that work, Lord God, and thank you that you promise that you who began that good work in us will see it through to completion, that we will be enabled to surrender and to die to self because that's what you've called us to do. And thank you that you have already created the new man and that we're just called to put him on every day. Help us, Lord, as we try to do that. Help us to understand what that new man looks like, that, that, you know, that he's created in holiness and righteousness of the truth, Lord God. Help us to see and understand what that's like so that we can do battle in our minds, Lord, with the, the self that seeks to pull us away from you. Father, it's complicated. It's so hard even as we talk about it. Sometimes it slips away. So keep our minds set on you, Lord God. Keep our minds, as Paul says to the Colossians, set your minds on things above. And, and help us to do, as Rosie said, to speak to each other in spiritual songs and thanksgiving and to actually actually fellowship in a way that's real and meaningful and that will help us to help one another to be the people that you are calling us to be. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you have already done in us and will continue to do. And we ask you, Lord, just to keep our eyes open to the work that you're doing around us. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Praise God. He's so lovely, isn't he? He's wonderful. Oh, yes.